0: You're listening to the Church 2911 Sermons Podcast. You can follow along with the notes for this message and get better connected with our church by visiting church2911.com connect. This week we have a special message from Jeff Robinson about the importance of the monuments we build in our lives.
1: Memorial Day is something that we do uh, and, and we celebrate. We remember it for those who have lost their lives and some of you have family members um, who lost their life in service and for those of you you know we thank you for your family service and, and uh, today as a church uh, and, and, and as the body of Christ we want to remember those because remembering sacrifices that were made for us is actually what our entire faith is built upon remembering those things and, and the sacrifices of those who've gone before us if you read the Bible is what the entire Bible is about is about remembering these things and, and remembering how it's happened and uh, we build monuments for these people and we build monuments now I'm not going to get deep into monuments because I know there's, that's a politically charged thing in this day and age and everything is politically charged in this day and age but, but there have been a lot of monuments built to help us remember sacrifice made. I want to show you a couple and you guys, uh, you, you guys see if you remember some of these what's that first one out there anybody know what this one is? Iwo Jima uh, you know, that's, I, I've, I've been to that one it's a gorgeous thing um, this next one uh, anybody know what that is? Now, let me tell you a funny story about this one. My wife and I went to Washington, D.C. several years ago. For, uh, we were there for general counsel for a ministry trip, and we had a day to go and um, do a lot of sightseeing. And, we, man, we walked about 1,000 miles that day. And, uh, but when we first got there, we get to our hotel, and it was like, hey, there's the Washington Monument, and we took a picture. You could see this thing from all over the city. I mean, we've got about 150 pictures of this thing from different angles because you can see it. It was, it was always, hey, there's the Washington. It was a joke by the end of it. Was, hey, there's the Washington Monument. Um, so what's, what's the next one up here? The Lincoln Memorial. Uh, or some of you guys think that's the one from the Planet of the Apes movie with Marky Mark that this thing was in. So uh, If you haven't seen it, consider yourself lucky and don't worry about it. <laughs> Somehow that one didn't make it into our blockbuster 80s thing. I don't know. So, uh, of course, it wasn't in the 80s. But anyway, so I I want to talk to you about monuments because, you see, we build these monuments to to remember sacrifices, to remember men who did great things, men who laid down and sacrificed their lives. Maybe they didn't die in battle, but they sacrificed, they gave themselves, and they gave up their freedom and their things to to be leaders and to to, to lay down and, and make sure that we have the life that we have today. And so I want to talk about today we still build monuments. And we build monuments, monuments spiritually to help people remember the sacrifices that have been made, to help people remember the things that God has done for us so that they can learn from that and they can have that. Would you pray with me this morning? God, we come before you and we, just, we ask that you would have your way, God, that everything that I say for the next few minutes, that um, my, anything that's my opinion and anything that's, that's, that's strictly a Jeffism that would go in one ear and out the other. But anything that's of your word and anything that's of eternal value, God, would take hold and take root, and it would help us to, to grow and learn from you. We ask it in your awesome and matchless name. Amen. So um, we, we, we build these monuments, and I'm going to share with you three quick ways that we build spiritual monuments. I'm going to keep this short because if you're like me, you've got barbecue at home you're ready to go get. Am I, am I right? Can I get an amen this morning? All right. So um, so, so one of the ways that we do that is through worship. Uh, now, I've been a worship pastor most of my life. I've been on church staffs doing worship. I've been volunteer. I've done things. been a musician playing. And so uh, I know a little bit about worship I've learned over the last 30-plus years of doing this. And so let me just tell you, first and foremost, and this is going to come as a shock to some of you. This is something I had to learn. The first thing I want you to know about worship is that worship is not music. Okay? Um, all the musicians are like, What? Worship is not music. Now, music can be worship. Not all music is worship, but worship is not necessarily in and of itself music. Worship is not something that's led from the is is stage-driven. It's led from up here. Some of the most intimate times of worship I have have been pushing a lawnmower in my yard. And just me and God talking and doing things. Man, I've come up with some great sermons, Larry, right? Put, push it a lot more in my yard. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's a, these, these are times that, that I have that worship moment with God. I've had great worship moments unstopping toilets. If you've never, some of you are like, oh, I don't think so. But let me tell you. I, I've, I've had, you know, whatever it is, let me tell you some things that worship is. Worship is not music. Let me tell you a few things that worship is. First of all, throw that scripture up there. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. This is one of my favorite. This is the message Bible, or the hippie Bible, as my sister-in-law calls it. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday ordinary life—your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life—and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for Him. If you read it in the King, if, if you're like me and you grew up, you know, shortly after the Civil War, and you went to a Christian school, they did the King James version, and so you heard this. It says that this is our spiritual act of worship. Is the way it says. But this is the very best thing you could do for God. It says your everyday life, sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life. So here's what I want you to know. Micah led worship this morning. That music that he did was worship, and it was really good. Good job. But let me tell you something. About a month ago, there was a bunch of guys here, and they were hanging speakers and they were doing stuff, and Micah crawled under this stage and helped staple up wire to there. And his worship that day was every bit, maybe even more, pleasing to God than what he did just a few minutes ago you you, you guys see what I'm saying there are people uh you you know when when they reach out to do things worship is the things that we do to honor God so one way that we could do that is um is loving our neighbor and we'll get to loving people in a minute but you know one of the things we could do um is some of you may say uh how many of you guys took the touch charge the touch card challenge last week you got touch cards anybody take any Okay, maybe I shouldn't get you to raise your hand because it seems like not many of you did it. Um, so, but if you took some most those touch cards we had, and, and there are ways to do it. One, uh, you can, you know, and what we do, we have these cards, and it says, you know, you've been touched by, and it has our church name on there. Because uh, one way that, that some people do is when you're in a restaurant, uh, you go into the drive-thru, and you say, I want to pay for the car behind me. And here's this card. Would you hand it to them when you do that? And that way they know not just that somebody paid their meal, but that, you know, I did this because I love Jesus. And, and I did this because our church loves the community, and we want people to know that that's why we did this. And now some of you are like, man, I can't afford to do that. If you're like me, it's my luck that, you know, the person behind me, I do that, they're buying for like the whole baseball team or something, you know. And so I wind up with a $150 order at Chick-fil-A or something. But uh, some of you may say, man, I can't afford that. But here's what you can do. When you're out cutting your grass and you see that your neighbor's grass needs cutting, you can swing over there and, and, and cut their yard too. Uh, or if you're like me, I spent all day yesterday cooking barbecue for for, for thing today, and um, so I'm gonna. I, I guarantee it because every time we do this, some of that food is gonna make its way across the street to my neighbor's house, because I'm gonna take it over and say, "Hey, this, man, I got a bunch left over. I just wanted you to have this, and let you know that, you know, just thinking about you, and you know, w- want to make sure you get some of this good barbecue." There are things that we can do that is worship, and that worship. Is every bit, and probably more important than what happens when I stand behind a keyboard and a microphone right up here on, on most Sunday mornings. It's more important than, than what I'm doing right here. You know, because those are the times that that worship is when I'm building a monument that tells that neighbor who may not know Christ that says, you know what, I'm doing this because I lo- because God loved me so much, and so I'm gonna I- I've got extra love to share, and so I'm gonna I- I'm gonna give you some of it. That's what worship is about. Worship is not music. However, the next point, my thing went dark here. Here we go. Uh, Worship is powerful. You see, when we understand and begin to get a grasp of what real worship is and we're building this monument, the reason that worship is a monument we build is because worship is powerful. Throw that scripture up there, Tommy. Along about midnight, Paul and Silas were at prayer and singing a robust hymn to God. I love the Message Bible, a robust hymn to God. They were singing a robust hymn to God. The other prisoners couldn't believe their ears. Then, without warning, a huge earthquake. The jailhouse tottered. Every door flew open, and all the prisoners were loose. Tottered and robust. What other version of the Bible can you get to get those awesome words in there? So here's what's happening. Most of you guys know the story. Paul and Silas are arrested. They're in jail, and 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 these guys are in there. And so, what is you know what does every prisoner do when they're in jail? They sing and they sing a robust hymn to God at midnight. And so Paul and Silas, they begin worshiping in the jail. And they begin singing. And, uh, you know, I have to imagine, like, Silas is like, dude, shut up. I'm trying to sleep. And Paul's like, no, man, we're going to worship. And so they start worshiping. And God sends an earthquake and sets them free. Now, if you read that, it says that every door, not just Paul and Silas's, every door in the jailhouse flew open. When we worship God, when we build that monument and we worship in our darkest circumstance then other people see and it begins to unlock not just the prison doors that hold us, but the ones that are around us. There are people that need to see that when things are going on and you stand up here and you worship God in spite of them, when you go to your work and you say, and you worship God in spite of those things, if they know that you've lost a loved one and you show up to work and you love people and you, you know, instead of biting people's heads off at work, which would be understandable when we're in our time of grief or we've got terrible things going on, but instead we love with the love of Christ, then they begin to see it. It begins to unlock their doors and realizes that, you know what, I don't have to, I don't have to be mean just because I'm hurting. It begins to unlock those things. Worship is powerful. Worship can set people free. Worship can set you free. Worship is not just singing, it's not just, it's not just clapping, it's not just shouting. Worship is when we begin to look beyond ourselves. Worship comes from the, the old English word worth-ship, which means to ascribe worth to something. So when I, when I tell my wife that I love her, then that means something. When I take out the trash without her having to ask me four times... That shows, that shows worth that, hey, maybe he does love me. I don't know. Maybe he just thinks the trash stinks. One of the two. and um, You can laugh. It's okay. Um, it, you know, but, but, but there are things we ascribe worth to that. And so worship is when we ascribe worth to God by showing people that our, our faith is not limited to Sunday morning. Our faith is not limited to what happens here. Our faith is not limited to when things go well or what, you know, uh, our, our faith is not limited to the Bible when it supports our stance. Our faith is built on the fact that we worship God even when the scripture says that, you know what, you're wrong. Our faith is built on the fact that we worship God in spite of the fact that, that things are going bad and everything in our lives just stinks at the moment. And we say, you know what, God is still on the throne and God loves me anyway. He's mad at me right now, apparently, but he loves me anyway. He's not mad at you. But sometimes that's what we think. Our worship is powerful. Our worship is something that that God wants us to do. But the other thing is that our worship is contagious. You see, when when we begin to worship in spirit and in truth, when we truly begin to worship God, it becomes contagious to those around us. Um, Laughter is contagious. If you've ever been somebody and they start laughing and you're mad and they're just laughing and you, before long, you can't help but laugh. You're mad at the fact that they're laughing, but you can't help but start laughing. Um, Kendall and Andrew Neal's kids, if you're in a bad mood, watch their kids play for about 10 minutes. And you cannot, you cannot stay in a bad mood. We were, at, we were at Starbucks a few weeks ago, and, 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 and these guys, they're adorable. And they're making, friends, they're making friends with half the people at Starbucks. They've got all kind of people playing and stuff going on. And I'm telling you, you cannot help you cannot help, but smile when you're watching these guys because they're full of life and they're full of love and they're full of laughter and, and their parents are obviously doing a fantastic job with them. Well, you see, we're that way when we begin to worship because people look and people see and they begin to think, you know what? That dude is either completely nuts or he knows something that I don't know. Because his whole world seems to be crashing in around him, and he's still smiling. I don't know what he's got, but I think I want some of it. You see, one of the problems with the church today is the fact that we, we want to act like what we have is something that the world doesn't deserve. And they don't, but neither do we. But we want to act like what we've got is something that, you know what, this, this is, uh, you, you guys haven't achieved holiness yet. When, when, you get as, when you get as holy as we are, we'll share this with you. But, you know, for right now, right now, we're going to keep it to ourselves and just be joyful. I have the joy of the Lord. You know, nobody wants it. They're like, you can keep it. I don't want it. <laughs> if that's joy, then, you, you know, you, you guys just keep it. Now, understand what please, please get. I am not making glib of people that are going through terrible things. There are days that I hate the world. There are days that I don't like anything about my life. There are days, that, and, and, and you know, I, I, if, if you guys have heard me before, then you understand that I am what my, what my wife and kids like to refer to as um, uncomfortably honest sometimes about things. I struggle. There are days that I think I'm on top of the world. I'm invincible. I'm, I'm Superman. I'm Leonardo DiCaprio on the front of that ship, the king of the world, baby. I'm, you know. And then there are days that I wake up, and I think that I'm like Paul. I'm the chiefest of sinners, man. I, I, I don't deserve I'm stupid. I am, I am unable to do anything, to accomplish anything. I'm just unintelligent and, and just not worth much. And so, you guys are thinking, you're schizophrenic. That explains a lot about you. Thank you very much. No, that's just honest. And, and so I get that there are days that you wake up and things in your life stink. There are, you know, you're in risk. Maybe you're in danger of losing your job. Uh, maybe you're in danger of losing your house. Maybe you're in danger of losing your family. Maybe you're on the brink of financial ruin. There are things that, that just stink about your life. And I'm not telling you that you act like some person who's completely lost their mind and they just walk around and continue to do things like there's nothing wrong. Because that's just a lie. And we come to church and so many of us do that. And and I'm going to get to that in just a second. That's my next point. But what we do is we worship God and say, God, I know that my finances are not where they need to be, but I also know it's because I don't always follow you like I should. I don't always trust you as much as I should. I don't always spend like you would have me spend. I spend more like my flesh wants to and not like my spirit says that I should. God, I'm in this situation. My marriage is falling apart, but I understand it's because I'm not always the godly spouse that I need to be. I'm not always this. There are things that are going, and I'm going to worship you because I know that you are big enough to fix this problem if I will trust you and do what you have told me to do if I will seek wise counsel from those who know and I will do these things, I'm going to worship you because I know that you're a God that's big enough to do all these things. That's what worship is. Worship is when that neighbor who's treated us unneighborly and we say, you know what? I'm going to be the bigger person because God was the bigger person to me. Worship is when we come to do, when we show up to do things, when Micah shows up to crawl under the stage, when there were like five of us here and there's not, you know, and it was not pleasant. This place is not a pleasant to crawl under. I, you're, you're welcome to check it out right after service. It's not a pleasant thing to crawl under. But Worship is when it says, you know what, this thing has got to be done, and why not me? I could do it. Everybody else here is old. I'll crawl under here. That's what he's thinking, so. Worship is when we do those things, and we build a monument to Christ when we worship God in the circumstances that we're in. When we worship God, when we, when we give of our time, of ourselves, of our resources, and begin to do those things, that's when we build a monument. The next monument that I want to share with Oh, go, go ahead and throw that scripture up there. I'm sorry, Tommy. This is what Hebrews says. Paul, is, Paul admonishes them. Let's take our place outside with Jesus, no longer pouring out the sacrificial blood of animals, but pouring out sacrificial praises from our lips to God in Jesus' name. Making sure you don't take things for granted and go slack in working for the common good. Share what you have with others. God takes particular pleasure in acts of worship, a different kind of sacrifice that takes place in kitchens and workplaces and out on the streets. That's what worship is. That's the kind of worship that builds monuments to God. That's the kind of worship that, that, that makes people say, hmm, maybe, maybe Christianity is not simply the bigoted, closed-minded thing that I think it is. It's when worship like that takes place. The next monument that I want to talk about building is by wearing our scars. Uh, and, and you guys are thinking, <laughs> I, I think David put it best a few weeks ago, what you talk about, Willis? That's what we're, you know, that's what some of you guys are thinking right now. It's, it's wearing our scars. We all we we we've got scars. I, I've got a lovely scar right here that came from surgery earlier this year. Um, I, I've I've got a scar on my wrist that most of you can't see. It's about uh, 40 years old, and um, and so I got it before I was born. Some of you guys are getting that. You'll get that. You'll laugh at lunch today when you get that one. Um, but, you know, we, we, we've got scars and things about us, and, and we have things in our life, not just physical scars. We have, we have emotional scars. We have, we have spiritual scars. We have these things that we carry around with us, and, and what do we do? We hide them. We wear long sleeve shirts to cover them. We do these things spiritually, emotionally. We want to hide these scars because we don't want people to think that we're not normal. I told you several weeks ago when we were here, this church is not normal. That's not what we're built on. God is not looking for normal. God is looking for people who go above and beyond the norm. People who There are people out there that don't need normal. They need to see your scars. They need to see the things that you've been through because they think that, they think that people in church are all think that they're perfect and, and they don't have problems and they can't possibly understand what I'm going through. But they need to see your scars. They need to see the things that we've been through, and 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 the things that we have to, the things that we have to struggle with, and the things that we have to to, to deal with. Um, in the book of Mark, now in, in the gospels, in three of the gospels, there's a story where Jesus is at dinner, and someone comes in with perfume, and they anoint. One says they anoint his feet. One says they anoint his head. One says that she anoints him with the tears, and then she washes and stays with his feet. It could be three different things. I've read different things with scholars. But regardless of what it is, there's this story. And in the story, just about every time, it refers to the woman who does it. And it refers to her past. She has scars in her past. One of them I was reading last night. I think it's in Mark. It says, the Message Bible says, The town harlot comes in and anoints Jesus' feet with oil. But what I want you to see is I want you to look here. It says, is Jesus, Jesus, because they're talking. Uh, and 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 if you if, if you have time later, it's on uh, it's it's on the Sunday space. Go back and read this story and go look at the other ones. It's really it's it's one of my favorite. Every worship pastor that ever preaches has preached this message before about this, because it's awesome. And so, but Jesus Jesus replies to them because they're saying, How dare this woman, how dare this woman come in and do this? Do you not know her past? Judas, uh, Rick preached a few weeks ago, and he talked about Judas's motive behind this. But Judas says, you know, they could have sold that perfume for money, and we could have fed the poor with that. People say they, they talked about all the things, but Jesus, in defending this woman to these, he says, you can be sure that wherever in the whole world this message is preached, what she just did is going to talk, be talked about admirably. You see, Jesus understood that it was very important. The reason that, let me just get this out of the way. I believe That the scriptures are the divinely inspired Word of God I believe they were written by men but I believe that they were they were inspired by the Word of God I believe that that the scriptures are just as true today as they were when they were written is it possible that people you know have typos and things and it's gotten lost in translations over the years no because I really believe that God is big enough to Make sure that we did that. So we, we can debate on that. We can do that later. That's something that's a question for Pastor Rick. So anyway. <laughs> you're welcome. And so anyway, but here's the thing. I I I believe that and, and because of that, I believe that there's a reason that we know about her her past and her history in these stories because God wants us to understand it was not the pious. It was not the Pharisees. It was not uh, it, it, was, it, it, it was, not the important people. It was this woman who whom they said was the town harlot. She came in and she worshiped at Jesus' feet. And he says, you can be sure wherever in the whole world the message is preached that she will be talked about admirably because of what she did. People need to understand... What you've been through. Because when they see when they see that you struggled, there are some times that maybe you've got a divorce in your past. Maybe it may have been a long time ago. And you hide it because you don't want people to know because you're ashamed of it. Because if you're like me, the church that I grew up in, that was the impardonable sin was divorce. When I, I mean, that was, you know, Cliff, you understand what I'm talking about. You, you know where that's, you know, this was. And, and so we're ashamed of these kind of things and we try to hide them. But people need to understand how you come back for something like that. People need to understand that you know the pain that they 're going through. you know the destruction that it, the toll that it took on on your life and all of those things, and that you know what God can do to restore you when you 've been through situations maybe it's uh, maybe it's something you did in your past maybe you're addicted to drugs or alcohol maybe you maybe you have a scar and you tried to uh You tried to harm yourself people need to know that you understand what they're going through and your scars that we try to hide can mean life to someone who is seeking someone who who only knows death and only knows destruction the fact that somebody understands and somebody made it through that you could be the salvation for them that understand that it's time that we make a monument by understanding that, you know what? <laughs> I'm not what I once was. I'm not, I'm not everything I can be, but I'm not nearly what I used to be. The next, the next thing is telling our story, and this ties right in with it. We need to tell the story that we've been through. This, this goes with those scars that we know, and we tell, we tell our story wherever we go. We make sure people understand when I, was, when I was a teenager, I grew up in church, and uh, I played in the band, and, and um, uh, I, I come from a lower middle-class family. I grew up in, you know, in the Centerpoint area, went to Irwin High School a long, long time ago, and, um, in the last century. And so some of you guys will get that in a minute. Too. Just, just the laughter kind of tr- slowly trickles across as people start to get it. And so... Um, there was a time- uh i I needed a new trumpet I had the the beginner trumpet that I had to start in band, and uh I needed a new trumpet because i was going to I was going to high school now, and so you know i needed a I needed a good one and so my parents said, well <laughs> ask pray you know ask God for one, you know maybe God's got money to buy you one, and so um so I did, and uh we were in Sunday school and 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 my Sunday school class was talking about prayer and at this particular time, and so I did i said. I need a new trumpet, and so I need God to give me one. And God did. God gave me a box Stradivarius trumpet. It was like, it was, you know, an amazing thing. And so um, I had a minister friend of mine years later, because, man, I told that story anywhere. I said, man, God gave it to me. And I told him. And I had a minister friend that said, I'll be glad when God gives you something else, you'll shut up about that trumpet. So, <laughs> But I didn't because here's the thing. What God did, when God gives me something else, I'm going to say, not only did he give me this trumpet, he also did this. And when God does something else, I can say not only did he do this and this, but he did this. I can tell the story of the time that there was no food in my house and I had nothing to do, and I get a call from a lady who says, hey, I'm a foster parent. We just got extra food in. I have a ton of extra food because they gave this to me, and it's going to spoil. Do you by any chance know anybody that needs some food? It happened. I can tell you about the time where the first, the first Saturday in December one year, we were, we were in ministry. It was our first out-of-town ministry thing. We're out of town. We didn't know it. We're, we're five hours away from home, and we're sitting in the kitchen trying to figure out how we're going to buy Christmas for our two little boys. And I get a, call from, we get a call from a family member that says, Hey, every year we buy for somebody, and God told us to call you this year. This family member that didn't attend church at this time called and said, God told me to call you and ask you what we could do. You see, it's those things that build a monument. When I tell my story, and people understand that it doesn't matter where you've been. It matters that God brought you through, and I know who it is, and I know whom I believed. And you can tell me that it doesn't make sense, and you can tell me that it's just a story, and you can tell me that it's fiction. But I know that I know that I know that I've seen, and I've experienced it. And that's the monument that people need to see. That's the monument that people need to hear. That's the monument that points people to the fact that you don't have to give up because there really is a God, and he really does care, and he really does love you. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done, and it doesn't matter in what circumstance you're in. He loves you enough to come to where you are and to deliver you and to take that from you. Jesus thought so much that you need to tell your story that in Mark chapter 5. Now, here's, here's the backstory Again, go and read this. But there's a demoniac, and he's going around. He's demon-possessed, and so Jesus casts the demons out, and he sends them into pigs, and the pens go drown. Them. It's a really cool story. And so he gets through, and the person delivered of demons tells Jesus, he says, I want to go and follow you. He said, he, Jesus was getting in the boat. The demon-delivered man begged to go along. He said, let me follow you. You saved my life. Let me come and do this. And Jesus says, no, go home to your own people and tell them your story. Tell them what the master did and how he had mercy on you. People need, even Jesus told them, people need to hear your story. You need to tell people at work, we can't be ashamed. If you're, Rick says this all the time, and and this is one of our mottos here at 2911. If you're embarrassed of your church, then find one that you're not. If you don't like to brag about where you go to church, then please find one that you can. Because people need to hear your story People need to know That you have a relationship with God They don't want to know how spiritual you are They don't care how much you, you know, they, they don't care how much you gave to the missions program They don't care all these other things They simply want to know that you go somewhere that says You know what There's a bunch of people that are going to love you when you come in There are people there And you know what If you need a friend I'm going to be your friend Why don't you come to church with me Let me introduce you to another friend of mine Who set me free who did things in my life that you can't possibly. If they ask you questions you don't really answer to, say, here's Pastor Rick's number. Call him. No, bring them. Bring them. There are people here. You know, myself, Pastor Rick, there are members of the the staff. You know, there are people that will be more than happy to help you out with those things because making a difference in people's lives is building that monument to Christ that brings people to him. That, that sets that up so that no matter when, when the news points out all of the negative things that the church has done, and we, the, church of, the, the people who call themselves the church of Christ have done a lot of things that aren't necessarily in line with what Christ would do. But when we point out that, you know what, as the church of Jesus Christ, this is what we do. And we can begin to put those monuments up so people can point to those monuments and say, that, that looks real to me. That, that monument, that worship that you're talking about, that that, that story that you told, those are things that I can relate to. And that's the monument that makes me want to believe. Before I close, let me share the last thing. The way that we can build a monument is to love like Jesus loved. There are people that you're running contact with that are hard to love. There are people that they're mean, and they're hateful, and they're rude, and some don't even go to church. So maybe get that in a second too. So. get it. Pete, some, a lot of church people are mean. And anyway, <sighs> tough crowd this morning. So uh, we love like Jesus in in First Peter one twenty two. He says, now that you've cleaned up your lives by following the truth, love one another as if your lives depended on it. 1 John 4.11, and all these are on the Sunday's page if I'm going too fast. 1 John 4.11 says, my dear, dear friends, if God loved us like this, we certainly ought to love one another. No one has seen God ever, but if we love one another, God dwells deeply within us, and his love becomes complete in us. Perfect love. Over and over and over again, we're demo- we're admonished to love one another. Jesus said, "They will know that you're my disciples by the love that you have for one another." The Bible, over and over again, says that we're supposed to love love our neighbor even as we love ourselves. We're supposed to love other people. This is what this is what the the, the scriptures are built upon. We love God. And we love people. We love God. We keep all the commandments are built on these two things: that we love God, we love people, even when they're hard to love. Because let me just. Let me be the one to, to tell you this. Sometimes you're hard to love. I know that's hard to hear, and I know some of you don't believe that. But, um, you know, my wife tells me that sometimes even I'm hard to love, and I, I can't imagine that. But, you know, we can be hard to love sometimes, when we've, we've been in a bad mood when, you know, when our favorite football team loses. Uh, some of us Auburn fans have to deal with that more than you guys do, but that's okay, you know, so... We all have to, you know, uh, when, when our favorite sports team, when, when, when things happen, you know, we can all be unhappy. We can all be hard to love. We can all be hard to deal with. And yet, Christ died and loves us even while we were still lost in sin. Even while I was still a person who, you know, uh, who, who was doing whatever. Let's just be honest. I got saved when I was a kid. Um, I, you know, I, I had a little bit of a, you know, a time in high school that I wasn't necessarily super Christian, but I was never, ever, ever, like, really out there. But I still, had, I still had things in my life that were not, not pleasing to God. I still had thoughts. I still had things. I've struggled with things that God knows. And God loved me even when I was in the midst of those. Even now when I make mistakes, God still loves me even though I screw up. God loves me when I'm not the husband that I should be. God loves me when I'm not the father that I should be, when I'm not the friend, when I'm not the uh, when, 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 whatever it is. And God loves you no matter where you've been. And even while you were there, he died for you while you were still in sin. And if he can do that, then we can love people even when they're mean, heartless, cruel people. It's hard to do, but we want to look at people who've committed murder, and we want to say, you know, God, God can't wait to put you in hell. Actually, God doesn't want to. Actually, it breaks God's heart to do that. And that person needs Jesus just as much is the person who, who was murdered. And it's easy for us to pass judgment on, on things like that, and, and I get that. And I know it's the, uh, because of my upbringing... I like to call it my, my Pentecostal baggage sometimes, the things that where, where I grew up in in a Pentecostal church and a really strict thing, there are things that I struggle with and the things that I learned traditionally and the things that I read in Scripture where Jesus says you should love other people as if your life depended on it. It didn't say you should love good people as if your life depended on it. It said you should love people as if your life depended on it. And the way that we build a pillar, a monument that points people to Jesus is when we begin to love people. When we're the church that says we love people. You know what? If you've messed up, we love you. You know what? If your lifestyle doesn't line up with what we think Scripture does, we love you anyway. I love you so much, I'm going to tell you what Scripture says. I'm not going to beat you over the head with it, but I'm going to tell you what Scripture says, and I'm going to help love you through it. You can hate my guts, but I'm going to tell you. Um, I'm a diabetic, and so... Um, I have to take care of myself. You guys have heard me say this a hundred times. When I go see my doctor, the first thing they always do is they put me on that, that demonic machine called a scale. And they make me get on this thing, and they see how much, and, 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 and they compare to the last time, you know, and you're either, you know, hey, you've lost 10 pounds this time. Good job. You need to lose some more weight. Or you've gained five pounds this last time. Man, you really got to lose some weight. I mean, it's, it's a no-win thing every time I go in there. And so the doctor could tell me, <laughs> dude, you're fat. <laughs> Woo, you need to lose some weight. <laughs> or he can say, dude, here's the deal. If you don't take care of yourself, you're going to die. You've got a wife. You've got kids. You've got a church. You've got things that you love to do. And if you don't take care of yourself, you're not going to be able to do them very much longer because you're getting old, too. Not only are you fat, but you're old. And depending on the way that he says that, depending on what I do, it's still the truth. But when he says, dude, you are fat, you need, to, I mean, I can't even talk to you. you know? uh, I tell you what, don't sit on that bed right there. You might break it. Just, you know, you're, you're big. I'm probably not going to listen to what he has to say. It's truth, but I'm not going to listen to what he has to say. But when he says, dude, I can only tell you I can't make you do it. You need to go on a diet. You've got to eat healthy. You have diabetes. If you're not careful, you're going to lose extremities. You're going to lose your eyesight. There are so many things that it can affect if you don't take care of yourself. And you're not going to be around to see your grandkids. You're not going to be around to do this and to do this and to do this. Then that truth suddenly hits home. When we love people, we speak the truth according to the Scripture. Speak the truth in love. We speak the truth. What you're doing is sin. And God says that it will kill you, but you don't have to die, and I love you. And if you choose not to deal with this, God still loves you, but you're going to reap whatever it is that you sow. And you see, when we love people with that attitude, it's easy to say, well, you know, if we're not hard on sin, then we're, you know, we're, you know we, can, we can preach a hard line. You know, we, we can preach that this is, the, this is the line. God says the Scripture says that this is wrong. The scripture also says that god loves you and he is bigger and he can deliver you if you'll let him
0: you've been listening to the church 2911 sermons podcast if you have a prayer need our prayer team and pastoral staff would love to pray with you you can send us your prayer request by using the email address prayer at church 29 if you would like to know more about our church including information about our weekly services please check out church2911.com. Thank you for listening. We hope you know that God has an amazing dream for you. And as always, we dare you to dream.